20-somethings who are either married or in committed relationships who say their unions are more secure and more honest because they don't believe in monogamy. I just took off my clothes and I had to do it. Talking about swinging, or as it's known now, living in the lifestyle. We're going to have to give you some monogamy. Technically, an orgy requires a minimum of six participants. This is a new generation of swingers. Waves are coming at you on Friday, Saturday. By Sunday, your nuts gonna be drained. Oh, oh, oh. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Swinging Around, the sex positive podcast about swinging and sex. I'm Danny. I'm Heidi. And today we have an, an extra special episode. We have the writer of the Top Cow Image um, series of graphic novels, Swing. We have Matt Hawkins with us today. How are hey, you doing, thanks Matt? Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing well, doing well. Obviously, we're in. Um, it's a swinging podcast, but we are super geeks as well. We love comics, and actually, every other episode of this show that we put out is um, not even swinging-related at all. It's just we cover movies or comics, um, and so we are super geeks. And so we were... It was we were over the moon when back in 2018 we saw in the previews that there was going to be a swing comic coming out. It was we couldn't believe it. It was awesome. I was like, we have to buy this right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did, and here I am. So it's good stuff. Yeah, we we, we love that that there's such a sex positive book that's that's main that's fairly mainstream, and it feels like uh, as I was just saying, just made just for us, like the the swinging geeks. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and, and that book exists because of Sunstone. It's another Top Cow graphic novel. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, we we are. We've only read um, the first two trades, but we have the the, the rest, and we're uh, chopping at the bit to 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 read those. And but but we didn't read those until after we read Swing Volume One. I think we jumped into Sunstone after um, after Swing Volume Afterward. One. Yep, and it was. Right. It well, was... Sunstone uh, was a book that uh, the artist had done as a webcomic and was giving it away for free. And he had like uh, 8 million page views on DeviantArt. So he kept pestering me to put it out. But we'd never published anything that had sort of erotic content like that. And we were a little, honestly, I was a little leery. And uh, he kept pestering me and pestering me. And he did a lot of other work. He illustrated a lot of the science fiction stuff that I, I wrote for the company. And, um, and he finally said, look, if you're not going to publish it, I'm going to take it somewhere else. And he's been a loyal, long-term guy, so we finally agreed, sort of reluctantly, to put out the Sunstone. And uh, it turns out, uh, four years later, it's Top Cow's best-selling graphic novel of all time. And, uh, you know, I, I completely was uh, flabbergasted by the sales, the attention, and the fact that he was giving the book away for free. And then all these people loved it so much they wanted to buy it. Yeah, there's a big you know? market for it, it sounds like. Yeah. And so it's and, and I sort of studied Sunstone because I started taking it. I do conventions all over the world, and I always have tables where I'm selling my books. And I started taking Sunstone and putting it there next to all my science fiction stuff. And I noticed that the audience for Sunstone was very different than the audience for my science fiction work. Um, and they, they were very rabid. They were like, what else do you have like this? And I'm like, I, we don't have anything. <laughs> and Swing exists for that reason. We created a category of these sex-positive, slice-of-life sort of romantic books about sexual subcultures that uh and, and what what we really realized with sunstone was that people that are really into snm found 50 shades of gray insulting and rapey mm -hmm. and not reflective of their culture they saw sunstone as something that that celebrated their culture and they just celebrated it to the world you know and it made it this big deal so 
you know, that's when, when we started doing swing, the research I was doing and, and talking to so many people, it was, it was really fascinating. I, I really, I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about myself. It was uh, an interesting four years. So I want to go back to the beginning for a minute. What made you, so because we're such comic book fans, I want to learn a bit, a little bit about the industry and how you got into it. So growing up, I, how, what, what, what is the path that's brought you to, to where you are now and what have you written in the past? Because I'm not super – growing up, I was a DC guy. So in the, growing up in the 90s, I wasn't um, – even though that was the image heyday, I wasn't um, uh, dialed into images as, as much back then. I'm still mostly a DC guy, but I still dabble in, dabble in other things. So could you speak about um, your, your, your comic book history? Well, this is a crazy story. And in comics, we call them origin stories because it's comics, right? And um, so my origin story is that I did not read comics at all. And this is one of those origins that the comic nerds that want to be writers hate me for because they all want to be – they all want to do what I do because there's so few of us. I mean, I just, just as a quick stat, there's like 300 writers of uh, comic books in North America. You know, I mean, there's like 800 people that play in the NBA. But anyway, I'm, I'm yeah, segueing. Is that um, – I had not heard that number. The 300 – that is – that's I why w- it's so incestual. There's only Everybody 300 of them. Company and- I would have thought, it's yeah, I mean, a very small business. I mean, I know it's very small because you, but I just didn't realize it how, quite how small that is. Wow. Well, and the thing with writers is I can write five books a month, you know, and, and artists can only do one. Um, and I've been doing this for 28 years, and guys like Mark Wade have been doing it for 20 years longer than me and are still doing it. So it's, uh, it, you're competing with guys that have been doing it for decades. So, but, um, Again, the, the, back to back to swing. <laughs> but the uh, the reason uh, I decided to do it was when I sort of studied the marketplace. And you know, honestly, I started googling in Los Angeles. I, I googled SM clubs. I googled swinger clubs. I found four swinger clubs and two SM clubs. So my business mind asserted there's twice twice as much of an audience. You know, didn't turn out to be exactly true. But uh, so we we started uh, a journey to create this book called Swing. Oh, so you mentioned oh, something ahead. about um, four years of a journey. Was, was it really four years of, of research and, you know, writing or how did, how did that come about? I mean, there, there are uh, most of that is fiction, but there are some autobiographical elements. I was married to two Asian women and uh, that's sort of uh, the characters are a bit of a conflagration of both my marriages because uh, my second wife uh, did not have any children. My first wife had children with me. So they're and they were completely different experiences. So. Um, I'm not sure if I answered what you wanted to hear. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just, you, you mentioned that it was kind of a four year journey. So I was wondering, was it four years of, of writing? No, it one? was, uh, there was an idea, there was some exploration, there was some research and interviews <laughs> and all kinds of fun insanity. Um, and then, uh, then there became the book. <laughs> That's the best way I can phrase it. So I have a, I have a question. Um, and I, I think you took the cue from Sunstone or the publishing model in general. But so what is the um, the idea behind and this gets in, into the business side a little bit, but putting this out um, Sunstone and Swing as a graphic novel, it's approximately four issues worth of length um, versus versus putting it out as a monthly and, and, and an ongoing is. Um, can you talk about the, that, that decision a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it's primarily driven by the readership. The The people that read Sunstone and Swing don't read comics, usually. I mean, most of them I've found uh, are just fans of that material. They're into something else, whether it's cosplay or, 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 or something like that. But they, they're not into the other comics that we do at all. So it's a weird thing for me now because I have two completely different audiences. 
And I have to be honest, I really like the audience for Swing and Sunstone better <laughs> because there's a lot of really attractive middle-aged women and, and they come up and they want to chat me up, you know, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun, you know, and I've met uh, some poly people and uh, had some really interesting conversations and, uh, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's a little surreal because, you know, I, I go to Houston and there's girls dressed up as characters I created, you know, which is kind of fun. So, I, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting world we live in. Or yeah. I live in, I should say. Yeah, I, I, I bet. Do you, so I assume that you take swing when you go to the conventions and you put it right next to the, your other work and, and along with Sunstone and everything. And so um, it's just right there with, 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 with everything else. It is. And, uh, you know, I'm a little more careful because I, I want to make sure that, especially we're in the Bible Belt. I was in Richmond, Virginia a few weeks ago and had the stuff out on the tables. And I, I intentionally sort of slipped it back from the table so a could, kid just couldn't randomly pick it up and flip through it. I mean, anywhere else in the U.S., no one would be that upset by that. But, I mean, we still want to prevent that. Um, you know, my, my attitude towards sex and all this sort of stuff is that uh, if it's consenting adults, it's not hurting anyone, and there's no children or animals involved, then I don't care what anyone does, you know? That's just my personal view. And then, yeah, and I feel like that's most people in, in the swinging community, too. We're, we're let each do their own, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, you know? Who am I to tell anyone else what to do, you know? So how is writing, how is writing swing, uh, the actual act of writing it, uh, differ from your other work? Like, uh, do you have to get into a different mindset? And a completely different mindset. I, I think there's a lot of short uh, tropes and things we do to cut jump stories in science fiction or in fantasy or a lot of stuff that I write. Most of the stuff I write is not uh, superheroes. It's either sort of elevated science fiction, thrillers, um, and that kind of material. So that's that's most of what I do. Swing and Sugar and some of the other stuff I'm doing now is, is, is uh, it's all romance, slice of life stuff. And, and I have to tell you, I have a newfound respect for all those writers because that shit is really hard <laughs> to write. You know, I mean, it, you know, I, I literally have a book with one artist, the Stephen Sedgwick, the guy that does Sunstone, where there are dragons fighting spaceships. Okay. As a writer, you don't have to worry about that looking visually interesting because guess what? Dragons fighting spaceship looks visually interesting. But if you have a couple getting into a fight at a restaurant over a boundary that was pushed, you know, how do you make that visually interesting? That's you know, true. that's really hard in a comic. And, and so Swing Volume 1, actually, I wrote 11 drafts of that script. That's the most I've ever written almost twice. I don't think I've ever gotten past a fourth or fifth draft where I was like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> um, but the and the crazy thing is, you, you guys have read Swing Volume One. Oh, yeah. oh of, of course, yep. We have it sitting here okay. right. There's right, right a here. scene forty pages in where he's on the headset playing the video game, and yes. she's coming down the stairs, and she's trying to try to seduce him, and he's playing video games, and they have sort of an awkward exchange. Mm -hmm. um, when I originally wrote the script, I started it there, and uh, the one thing I didn't realize was slice of life, because you know, the thing is, as, as a writer of. of, of realistic stuff you know I, I short shorthand things by if i say that someone's a cop or they're a dirty cop you know it evokes two images and i don't have to do a lot of explanation about that character because there's a lot of assumptions and things that you can sort of build off of very quickly but for a, a situation like swing where you're dealing with these emotions it's very uh dialogue driven um yeah no i gotta tell you swing volume one was the hardest thing i've ever had to write and uh, I, I just struggled with it. And uh, the interesting thing is everyone has told me I've come out the other, set, other side of that, a much better dialogue person. Like my dialogue is crisper, it's sharper. Um, and the guy, Stepan Sedgwick, who lives in Kirkvinnaker, Croatia, that's why he's got the cool name, uh, who does Sunstone, he, uh, he kept telling me that I was doing it wrong. Because since Sunstone was his <laughs> model, his model, and I was trying to replicate it with him, and his wife was the one that drew the first, ish, first volume, um, 
I was trying to, you know, evoke what they were doing. And he kept telling me I wasn't getting it. And finally, after literally the fourth draft where I was about to just call it and say, hey, we need to pull someone else in here that can do this. Uh, he, he, he called me on Skype and said, hey, go watch the movie up the first mm-hmm. eight minutes. Watch it three or four times where the old man, you see his life with this woman who they try to have a child. She can't have a child. They have this love affair. Uh, she gets cancer and dies, and he's this lonely old man there, and that's where you go. That seven minutes of animation is a master craft and emotional storytelling that uh, once I understood it, I then was able to replicate that, and then I wrote the fifth draft, and then I just needed to hone it. I mean, the, the sixth through 11th drafts were all dialogue because the dialogue needed to be more interesting. You know, you, you can't, yeah, it, it was hard. I mean, it, it was really challenging to write, and I had to call my mother and apologize to her for, because my mom is a CPA. She's a brilliant woman, and I used to give her shit for reading those things with the Fabio covers on them, <laughs> you know, and, and she always used to dismiss me by like, hey, I, I do some serious shit. I, I, I can watch, I can read whatever I want, and, uh, <laughs> But, you know, and I realized those things are hard to write. They really are hard to write. It's also especially hard for a man to write it knowing that it's mainly targeting women because you have to approach it in a very different way. And that's why, uh, you know, I, I, I chose a female artist and, and I had my wife at the time was working with me to, uh, to develop it. And yeah. so I took a lot of dialogue cues from her. I think you did excellent with the dialogue, to be honest, because it's, it's believable. I think the story throughout, especially in volume one, is very believable and I was I was into their journey as as a couple from from page one pretty much. And the scene that you're referencing, actually, I'm looking at it here. Two pages later, she's writing him. So I would say, job well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just I, I man, I, I got to tell you, I, I just wish people would loosen up. You know, I mean, I just uh, loosen up just a little bit because uh, I did. You know, I was raised a right wing evangelical Christian. I lost my faith when I was 27 working on a project. And that changed my life and my outlook. And over the next decade or so, uh, everything about me changed. Because when you lose that religious dogma, suddenly you realize that you look at these various things and like, what are they? And and, and are they uh, worthwhile? And things that I used to vehemently uh, like, you know, then I, I no longer believed. And it was, it was just, it's just a really weird journey. I mean, I, I, I don't know too many people that were raised right-wing evangelical Christians that turn out to be sort of left-wing left wing atheists, you know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of a weird arc. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's me. It is, and and you realize just once you get even more into the lifestyle or you just become, you don't even have to have to be in a lifestyle, just more sex positive, just how sex negative so much of the country is, and it's... And a it, lot of that is driven by religion. Not all of it, but a lot of it is, Yeah, and these things are deep-grained, you know, down in people's from the way they were the way they were raised. So I, I was speaking... And it's... it's Oh, go, go, go ahead, ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say that I think that um, the it I would have been interested to see where the work would have gone if you would have started where you said. But I thought the the first third of the book, when when you're getting to know Dan and Kathy and you're there with them and, and it's not flashbacks like you're sort of in there with the start of the relationship and you see it blossom and then you see you, you see where things go and the and the monotony of of um daily daily life and adulthood mm-hmm, yeah right. adulthood i i i thought you you did a great job i commend and i think that it, it really as heidi was saying it really drew me in oh thank you so much that means that means a lot i gotta tell you that like i said it was so hard I, I mean i learned so much about myself about writing and uh it was just really interesting. I had to study. I had to study plays for a while, like uh, really romantic plays, like even going to Sense and Sensibility and stuff like that, and studying how they talk to each other. 
because uh, it's just the dialogue is so different, you know. And uh, I don't know. So, it's kind of beautiful. So, you growing up um, right wing evangelical, was there? Did how much did you worry or did you not worry about putting this work out? I know that there was already there was already the precedent at um, Top Cow with Sunstone, but your name was going to be on this. It was going to be your, you know reflective of your work and it fictionalized to a point. But just you were it was a lot of you was going into this. Did 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 that? Um, did you speak about your thoughts and your feelings um, from from that angle? Uh, well, that, that stuff scares the shit out of me, <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's just frightening. Cause, uh, you know, you can pick your friends, you can pick your lovers, but you can't pick your family. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. mean, and that, uh, you sort of get what you get and you sort of go with what you go with. Um, and I love my parents. I, I disagree with them. They're Trump supporters. And, uh, I, oh, it, honestly, I was just on just, the it, phone. I was just on the phone with my dad, not a half an hour ago to call him about, you know, I hadn't talked to him since all um, the coronavirus really flared up about a week ago in the United States, and of course, it had to turn political. The same thing. My my dad is, sounds like the Baptist, <laughs> me, but yeah, you know, mirror, the same. Mirror, mirror image. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's weird. I think the more they repress us, the more we kind of rebel the other way, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the 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 thing that gets me is I I love the well, I don't love it, but it always cracks me up when you get the phrase like like where did you learn this or why do you think this way? It's like shouldn't you value that I think and I have my own thoughts and I'm not some automaton that is, you know, just going along with, you know, I, that I actually question things. And, and it, so the, it's yeah. proof of a job well done that a parent raised you right to think on your own. <laughs> True. But, they, <laughs> but then but, they rebel against Yeah. But then they don't realize that, you know, then, then, then they get annoyed that you think for yourself. <laughs> Well, that's that's true. You're both you're right on both counts of that because uh, my parents did teach me how to critically think, and I think that's something that's lost in today's news and in today's general uh, population. You know, people do not critical think anything; they take everything as it's told them. Uh, people live in echo chambers of social media now, where they only have people that uh, agree with them talking to them. So, you know, it's uh, it's a weird world we live in. So. I, so I have a question about um, the the art. So on volume one, Linda Sedgwick, is, is that am I, am I pronouncing that uh, last name correctly? Yeah, Sedgwick, yeah. Sedgwick. Um, so she she did the art for Swing, but she doesn't do the art for Sunstone. How did you wrangle her into into um, in, into Swing? Well, they wanted um, – when Sunstone was such a hit, um, uh, I had talked to Linda, which is Stepan, the guy that does Sunstone, writes and draws it, his wife. And I said, let's do a spinoff of Sunstone, and uh, I'll write it, and you could draw it, and we'll put it out, and we could sort of draw our two. We could try to draw our two fan bases together on one project. We thought it would sell more. Um, I, I was wrong. My regular audience rejected this book entirely. However, the audience was so much bigger, it didn't matter. I mean, I there are more people that know me as a romance writer now than do as a science fiction writer. I've probably written. 600 science fiction and, and, you know, non lifestyle or slice of life comics. And I've only written two of those. (laughs) (laughs) Do do you know what I mean? I mean, people are hungry for it. People are hungry for it. I mean, it's, it's an underground world and this is like you said, slice of life. It's an opportunity to, to read more about a world you're either fantasizing to be a part of, or you are a part of, and you want to read more about other people's stories. So, you know, I think you're pulling in people who are swingers or people who fantasize to, to be that way so you're you can cast a little bit of a net there yeah yeah no and it's uh you know and there's club joy here in la that i know the owner and he carries the book and puts it up in the front and we've sold quite a few copies there's a few uh groups around la that uh 
you know, I've, I've given out books and, and Swing actually is available digitally for free. I mean, it's the same model as Sunstone. We put it up online. Anyone can download it. So if any of your fans want to read Swing Volume 1 for free, they just need to go to the Top Cow site. There's a like a menu header that says free comics. They'll click on there and Swing Volume 1 is there. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. You know, oh, I didn't know that. Well, well, we would want to support it anyways and, and, and buy. But um, that's good info. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. So how come Linda wasn't able to come back or um, chose not to um, for volume two? Well, she uh, she had only agreed to do the first volume, and I knew that because she had other projects she wanted to work on. So, and I had only really intended Swing as a single volume. Um, and then when we started getting the pre-orders and some of the, and the volume, I, I was shocked at how well it was doing. And I mean, I, I uh, I'm selling seven copies of Swing for every one copy I sell of something else I write. So, of course, that's why Sugar exists, Swing Volume 2 exists. I'm almost done with Swing Volume 3, and I have two other of uh, these projects I'm doing now. So, you know, one, uh, one about the poly community called Polly Amberus, about a girl named Amber who goes on her poly journey. Um, and the other one I don't have a title for yet, but uh, it's about uh, a couple that gets together um, after both of them, after divorces in their early 30s, they're sort of tragically... Uh, driven um and uh, i love characters like that that are complex and and, and tragic and and they, they they try the online dating thing for the first time and they find each other and they fall in love you know that that kind of uh, that kind of fictional nonsense which everybody loves <laughs> ah. are you are those going to be uh part of the the sunstone universe or the perverse as as you call it in the sex ed um are those oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's what they wanted to call it i didn't want to call it that but uh um I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the Swing, Sugar, uh, Bloodstain, those, uh, I'm not Sugar, but Swing, Sunstone, and, and Bloodstain all take place in the same universe. They, the characters don't ever actually meet. The interaction between the three different series is that they play that video game together. So they're playing World of Warcraft or something where they're in a guild, and twice a week they raid together, and that's how they know each other. So there's not going to be, you know, like a, a Batman-Superman crossover. But uh, that's it's just sort of a nod. It's not even really that important to the stories, but uh, we sort of use it for fun. And it uh, anything that makes your characters more interesting, I think, uh, you know, makes you care about them. Yeah. Oh, it's bummer to hear that there's not going to be a crossover though. I was specifically going to ask about we, <laughs> about a Sunstone Swing crossover. Don't don't count it out. That would be amazing. Uh, you know, maybe I'll talk to I'll talk to Cedric. <laughs> See, he's planning on like this twenty volume run of, of Sunstone. And uh, there's sort of a specific arc, like the first five volumes are the same characters. The second five volumes are different characters, but they interact and they know each other and, and they know each other. Um, so it's uh, I, I just don't want to step on. See, Sunstone is such a massive international seller. I mean, Sun, uh, Swing is a good seller for me, but Sunstone, just so you know, I mean, we, we've sold this thing like it's in 27 different languages. It's it's. Uh, it's like an international smash bestseller. Uh, it, it's the best long thing Top Cow's ever done, and I, I just am whoa. Okay, that's, mesmerized that's big. By that. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, that's that is considering uh, back in the Michael Turner uh, Fathom days that that Sunstone's even out out doing that. I know. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? That is crazy. So Sunstone's twenty volumes. What do you see in the future for Swing? You mentioned Volume Three. Is is there more? Yeah, to Volume come Three. That? Is, I've written. The artist is working on it. The volume uh, Volume Two was done by Yishin Lee, a uh, artist I work with uh, out of Beijing, uh, who thankfully survived coronavirus. <laughs> um, she she did Sugar Volume One, and uh, so she when Sugar Volume I always intended Sugar just be a one shot, and that's kind of like a modern day Pretty Woman. It's it's it was a uh, 
uh, an interesting look at the sugar baby community is what it was. Um, and uh, so that's what kind of that was. But uh, Swing I see as a five arc, five volume arc, in my opinion. Okay. Okay, so not oh, so more to, uh, more to come. That's more, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I was super surprised by the quick turnaround from so just before recording, we were looking at the at the two volumes, and volume one was um, I was surprised just because I feel like I have talked about it a bunch. It's been in my conscience, but it came out. Uh, the cover date was uh, May twenty eighteen, and then volume two was September twenty nineteen. So there was a a fairly lengthy uh, wait there, but then I was surprised when i saw that volume three was going to be uh uh solicited uh not too not too long so well that was a function of uh between volume one and volume two i didn't know who the artist was gonna be and i had to find yishin lee to do it and now when yishin lee finished volume two she's like do you want to do volume three together and i'm like yeah how about we do five volumes well how about we do through volume five together so she's like okay i i will commit to doing all these but you just need to do them one right after the other she wanted to have the uh, reg you know Artists, freelance artists, they want regular work. You know, they've got bills to pay. So um, I essentially agreed for her to work on Swing Fruit with me for the next four years. So she's got, uh, which is great for an artist. She's got the stability of knowing that she's got her bills paid for four years and she could work on some other stuff too. So um, those uh, volume three, four, and five will all come back to back to back very quickly, I think. Uh, same sort of thing. Um, and like, you know, when I say there's a five volume arc, I wrote a loose outline and, uh, I, I broke it down into five different volumes, but it, it, as, as with anything, if it sells well, of course we're going to do more, you know, I mean, uh, there's a million stories to tell here, uh, with different characters like he did with Sunstone or with the same characters. Um, I tend to stick with the same characters when I do long-term volumes. Exciting that it's, uh, that we can, it's coming for a while that we have some that we have some swing coming because after volume um well i mean there is the big splash page at the end uh of volume one and i didn't cheat and look ahead so i was pretty psyched when i finished volume one and it said you know volume two coming 2019 and then you finish volume two and, it, and it's the same thing coming 2020 right. so pretty stoked to hear that there's uh that, that it's going to be coming out regularly for a while no i'm i'm uh, it, look it's the best selling thing i'm doing right now and uh i I'm, I'm honestly, like I said, the fans are so much more interesting to talk to at conventions than, than my old comic book fans. <laughs> no offense to any of my comic book fans that might be listening, but uh, uh, it's a whole other world out there. And each, well, as ho hopefully not not uh, now with uh, everything going on, uh, you probably had to um, cut back on some on uh, convention appearances, probably un unfortunately, correct? Well, not not uh, not by my uh, willingness. Um, what happened, honestly, is I, I had uh, like right now I'm supposed to be in uh, Dallas, um, and that show was canceled last weekend. I was supposed to be in Seattle, that show was canceled. Next weekend I was supposed to be in Kansas City, that show was canceled. Then I had one in Alaska, I had one in Florida, um, and this really sucks for me because that's my main source. Uh, not main, just about half my income is, is the what I sell on, on conventions that's because tough. people come up and they buy. Uh, a lot of people like to come up and buy it directly from me. Um, and they want to get it signed. So a lot of shows, I have fans that will come up and buy like a bunch of stuff because they want to catch up on my stuff, and that's that's where they get it. But I, I can only do so many conventions. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's bad out there. You know, I was curious if uh, if swinger activity had fallen off given coronavirus. I'm yeah. assuming the answer is yes. I, I have to imagine. I've seen some. Um, 
I've seen some of the uh, people that we have on Twitter where it's 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 definitely died down. But what's interesting is there's a club, there's a local club here in Michigan that they've de- they're definitely keeping going. I think it's because uh, for financial reasons. But it, it is interesting because you mean, gotta I, be willing to take the risk. Yeah, I yes, guess. you have to be willing the to take exposure. So, but I guess if you've so I, I I'd be curious. I I don't know about um about out there but here in michigan there's no you can't have any like permanent on-premise clubs so there's like hotel parties that um clubs will have and they'll take over hotels and they have that expense and so i assume with that they're not willing to cancel things because they don't have their own like ho- hotels have agreed to like host a party on this weekend and right so... no most stuff has been canceled you know i mean i saw a few things on uh sdc and casty where there were parties that were listed and canceled there were some parties here in Los Angeles that I saw that, you know, and they were, they were also canceled. So people are being really careful right now. And understandably so, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there and it is, it is scary, you know, yeah. and, uh, I think most of us uh, would get it and probably be fine, but, uh, you know, we don't want to give it to our mom or our dad and, and be the, the cause of their early demise, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. So getting, getting back to the book for a second, I've got a question here. So when you're writing a sexy scene, you've got something pictured in your head, you know, they're, they're going to get down and dirty and you have an idea for how that scene's going to go, but someone else is obviously drawing it. So what's that collaboration? Like, how do you, how do you figure out, um, you know, how to draw it? Did you ever get something that was more explicit than you were expecting? Or did you ever say, Hey, make, make that a little more explicit or how, how do you, how do you guys collaborate on that? Well, I would write, uh, when I would write sex scenes in the book, I, I would, I would not, uh, detail them out. Most scenes I actually will, I will write page one, panel one, establishing shot, Manhattan skyline, page, page one, panel two, you know, me- medium range shot as we close in on the daily bugle, you know, uh, panel three, you see Spider-Man swing in front of it. You know, I, I, I that's stupid, but I'm just saying that's yeah. kind of how y- you write. Um, but, uh, and, and a lot of times when you write fight scenes or when you write things like sex scenes or what, action scenes, whatever you want to call them, um, I'd write more kind of a plot style where I would say this is a three or four page sequence. This is, this is what happens. It's important that this happens like in, you know, in volume one, uh, when he realizes that there's more than, than two hands on his body, he's like, wait, what's going on here? And he doesn't, you know, I mean, so those kind of scenes I I think are interesting and and kind of fun and and kind of humanize it a little bit because, uh, uh, it's sometimes that stuff's really surprising, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some, there's a follow up to that. You know, there's some hot scenes in the book. Um, what, what sort of boundaries, um, did, did, uh, top cow and, and image as, you know, um, as, as an organization, did they have you pull back? Is, is, is there a more explicit swing out there than, than we've seen? Or is it, uh, you were able to put out exactly what you wanted? Um, honestly, you know, the crazy thing is when, is when you work with, uh, like I was co-writing with a woman and the artist was a woman. And so we delivered the script and the plot. And when I got the pages back, uh, they were often way more explicit than I was expecting, honestly. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, and I, I was actually kind of shocked because, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I was raised to think of women as these innocent little demure figures and, and little <laughs> did I know they were all anything but, I have you know? to say and, that, uh, that adds an extra dimension for me when I'm reading it to know that this is truly coming out of the mind of the the artist based on some some guidance from you I, yes I, and, I like and no that. and she uh she she did some hot scenes i mean there were oh, some yeah. hot scenes in there and uh <laughs> Heidi's, and I, you know, Heidi, I Heidi's sort of, looking at it right now and nodding at me she's like yep yep there's some hot ones there <laughs> yeah there, there are <laughs> yeah i agree yeah that's, so, that's fun was it harder for you to write volume 
two than volume one. Um, because volume one is very much Kathy and Dan's story in in terms of how they are getting into their lifestyle. And then volume two is very much sort of a process of, of how you go about navigating the, the lifestyle and, and setting right. up dating. And, and it seems very, there's a very procedural, um, I'm sure that for those, for us, you know, we're going, yep, yep. Been there, done that. Like yep. seen that, yeah. seen, set up seen, the profile, seen that scenario. And had then the bait and switch. And I'm sure that if, uh, for those who have not, um, had the experience, volume two was very eye opening. but I'm just curious if it was, challenging or more more or less challenging to write volume two i think volume two was easier because i i had the success of volume one you know i mean i was so neurotic about volume one and i wrote 11 like i said i wrote 11 drafts of that script swing volume two there was one draft and there was an editorial pass where the editor made some changes that i i I agreed to um but uh it just shows you literally I, i spent months struggling to write the first volume and i think anytime you have an origin of a character it's it's harder to do because you know you because by the time you get to the second volume, you already care about these people. You care about their journey. You kind of know who they are. They're good people. They're just trying to do something, you know, something different. They want they want to feel alive, you know. I mean, and, and who doesn't want that? So I don't know. I mean, it's just it's hard. Everyone's on their own journey. I just my thing is I just want to try to help people. I don't want to try to limit people to do what they want to do. Do you have any? Um, can you give us a tease of? what volume three where where the story is going in volume three well they're uh okay uh yeah <laughs> I, I will say this that uh, there is a point where they split up um and uh but they of course we'll get back together you know of course but, but there <laughs> there's some interesting stuff because you know volume two ends on, on a point where you know and see this is one thing i really thought was interesting when i got into the, the, the meeting a lot of people in the swinger community was that most of the successful couples the idea of it was sort of originated with a woman you know, and I, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I realized that from talking to people who had nightmare scenarios and crazy shit that had happened, you know, they they like guys that clearly wanted to have sex with other women, but they didn't want anyone touching their woman, you know, and uh, that, 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 that doesn't work. So it creates jealousy and ill will and weirdness. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's a really interesting community. I met a lot of really fun people. And uh, I, I, I the, the one thing I, I think is people don't realize is that uh, swinging is, is, is not cheap. You know, I mean, there's a lot of expenses in these clubs and these memberships, mm-hmm. you know, you want to go to desire down in Cancun, you know, you, these things cost money. And uh, so there's not, uh, you know, usually you meet some interesting people that are Titans of business and, and various things. I've, uh, I, I've been to at least one party in Los Angeles where I saw multiple movie stars. Oh, wow. Eyes wide shut style. <laughs> yeah, totally. Eyes wide shut style. Yeah. It was in a Beverly Hills mansion. Very oh, cool. Wow, yeah, that's that's really cool. Let's see that make an appearance in a in a future book. <laughs> uh, it did. Oh, okay. It's in volume two. Remember when they go to the mm. the? Uh, you remember that when yeah. when the girl when he comes out of the bathroom and they get in the fight because uh, she's talking to the guy and he's neurotic and uh, that that actually is is that yeah. Okay. <laughs> the the wristband even it's it's funny because the we've we've been and done a lot of things in the swinging uh community and, and lifestyle but we haven't the wristband club was really fascinating especially when i read in the sex ed you know in the back matter that that was a real club we haven't we haven't been to a club where the where they had the wristbands i you know the funny thing is because it was the first club i ever went to and it was the first time i ever went there and that's the first thing that i saw when i went with my wife at the time i i it was it sort of imprinted in my mind that okay this is what swingers do you know what i mean and uh i, I didn't I, we so the one thing about doing all these conventions is when we were active in that community, we were doing 
we'd go to conventions all over the U.S., you know, which was kind of fun to see the different ones. And I don't think I did see ever at any club anywhere else in the U.S. And I've been to some interesting ones in Atlanta and Kansas City and New York and um, Chicago. Um, and uh, I haven't seen any that, that had the, the, that. But it makes sense, you know. Green oh. means you're, you're good to go. Yellow is soft and red is no. It saves a conversation. Yeah, well. Because it's an awkward yeah. conversation otherwise. So. Well, it, yeah, yeah, it is. Um good to know where where people's boundaries are a little or have a little bit of a you know more of a clue where 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 people's boundaries are but have you, have you found because we've done most of our swinging here in Michigan a little bit in Toledo we've traveled to Desire and some other places is is out there is it um is it on is there dedicated on-premise clubs or is it mostly hotel takeovers or what is it uh it's, it's mostly on-premises clubs. I mean, almost every big city in the United States has an on-premises club. I mean, um, I, I don't know where that falls off, and it probably doesn't ring true completely in the Bible Belt. Yeah, yeah I mean, just I, sucks I, then. <laughs> you know, the one interesting place that did not have really any good clubs was Manhattan. You know, and that, that kind of tripped me out. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we the best were... club I've ever been to is called Trapeze in Atlanta. It, it, beautiful. Oh, yeah, we've we've heard of it. We've, yeah. we've, we've heard of it. We just went to um, we were at Naughty in New Orleans uh, convention. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. And, and uh, I went to a couple times. I'm trying to think of what it was called. There was like these hotel takeovers. We went to one in San Diego. I think Naughty something sound or Dirty something or I, I, it's been a few years. But there were a couple of those where one was in Palm Springs and one was in San Diego where, you know, the swingers just took over the hotel and uh, mayhem ensues. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, those. They're, they're both, you know, I mean, it, I think it depends. Yeah, new- But I found that there are a lot of on-premises, there are a lot of on-premises clubs. They're, most of them are in suburbs, you know, in the middle of nowhere. You know, the funny thing is in, in volume one of the comic, the uh, the, the public storage sort of entrance to uh, the, the club they actually go to is, is based on a club called Vixen Club here in L.A. Cause, yeah, they're they're uh, kind of hiding in plain sight, that, huh? Have you heard of this place? No, we, have, we haven't heard of that place, but it, it's... It's similar it's, to other ones we've it's seen. It's similar yeah. to because we, it's it's always interesting because these clubs, a lot of places like um, I was mentioning, uh, not not in New Orleans, they're um, they have a club there in New Orleans that is called Colette, and you would have no idea that it's there. I mean, I feel like we're and it, it's kind of cool because it makes you feel like you know you're in the know because you're going to these places. They're not really you know they might not be marked, but you know then then you walk in and it's a you know this fantastic club. But it's yeah, it's un- unfortunately the Michigan swinging scene is uh, the, the the laws they there's no they are not allowed to have on on premise clubs so it's a little annoying. Yeah, the on premises clubs are fun because you get a lot of just looky loos and if you're into the exhibitionism or you just want to watch, I mean, everybody's kind of fine with it, you know. And I uh, the one thing I've told people about it that asked me about like well, what's it like to go to a swinger club? I'm like, hey, you know, it's better than going to a real club. And I think <laughs> I, I put that in the book somewhere because I was always shocked, you know. You talk to women and they get groped, they get felt up, they get guys intentionally bumping up against their ass, you know, and all this sort of crazy shit like a regular club. But I, you know, you go to a lifestyle club, the guys are super respectful. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the uh, lifestyle is, I, I, I completely agree that they're better than regular clubs for sure. More, more fun, you can be a little bit, you can be more open, and uh, there's more respect going on. Switching gears for a minute. 
so you said you didn't grow up uh, as a big comics fan, but now like you've been in the industry for a long time. What are your what What are the things that are on the shelf that like every that you know Matt Hawkins has to have or returns to every couple of years and rereads? Favorite trades? That's got to be Alan Moore's stuff, really. I mean, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, From Hell. I mean, I just it, it's a masterclass in in writing that kind of content. Um, and it's sort of what I patterned my, my science fiction work on was sort of Alan's style. Cause I just, I just uh, really loved it. Cause when I started working at image comics in 1993, I started in April of 93. That's how long ago it was. I mean, the company was founded in October of 92 and I started in April of 93. So I just, I've only missed the first six months of a 28 year old company, you know, which makes me feel a little old, but, uh, um, it is what it is, I suppose. <laughs> I'm in a good phase of my life where people always tell me, you look great for your age. <laughs> you wish you could pass up that qualifier. So speaking of being at the company for so long, what are, do you like the writing more or did the, you know, some of your CEO, your chief, chief creative officer duties keep you from writing less than you'd like? Or do you, uh, how, how does that dichotomy work with the, with the company? Well, I, I, I do uh, – okay, I have to explain one weird thing about myself. I actually have a master's degree in physics, which is a weird thing to say because I never really did anything with it. Um, I was studying at UCLA and writing my dissertation uh, about what third-dimensional beings would look like to seventh-dimensional beings. That's what my dissertation was written about. You know, So it's, it's some nerdy-ass shit. And um, that explains uh, Image was founded, and um, I just ran into some people and was looking for a job. Honestly, I, just, I got into the marketing uh, with Rob Liefeld, the guy that created Deadpool. Um, his company, uh, did marketing work for him for a year and then sort of segued into editorial. And then a year after that I was writing and I've been writing ever since, you know, and it's, it's a blessing. I, I feel really, really lucky because, uh, it was not anything I ever thought I would do. You know, I, I thought I'd be doing research science like my, my father did for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a big change from, from, uh, scientist to, uh, sw- swing author. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a, definitely a, a journey, right? <laughs> yeah. So could you talk a little about um, and tell us in the audience a little bit more about some of your non-swing work? Um, what other titles are out there right now and what's what's some of the stuff maybe has wrapped up? And so you can, you know, some of, sometimes I find it's best. Like I, you know, binge watching TV is a thing now. I I find that I am, you know, I binge my comics now. You know, I, I love trades. I'll let uh, various titles that I'm reading build up for six months if I'm buying the single issues just to read it, you know, as a more as a more single, single thing. So I've, I have no, I like when things are, are wrapped up and I can, you know, sit down and read something. So what, what out there, uh, what other work can we, can we look for, for, from Matt Hawkins? Well, my favorites, um, are Think Tank and Postal. Um, Think Tank has five volumes, uh, Postal has eight. Um, and both of those are done. So, I mean, if you wanted to watch something that was finished, that is both Think Tank and Postal. Um, I, I think, that is, uh, Think Tank especially, is probably the most authentic look into my mind and how I think and, and what I think about the world. So, and uh, that's my favorite book that I do, but it's also one of my lowest sellers that I publish because I think it's, I've noticed that with a lot of creatives, like their passion work is not their best selling work. That surprises me that you say that because I remember when Think Tank was coming out and it was being well reviewed by the people who were reading it. Oh, it's being very well reviewed. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I, I love that book. It's my favorite book, and the reviews were fantastic. I was getting reviewed on NPR. I mean, I'm not even just comic places, but the sales were not there, you know. And uh, it's a hard sci-fi, and I think sometimes people, 
I, I tried to write it as layman friendly as possible. But you, whenever somebody reads something, it makes them feel stupid. They don't, they don't want to, they don't like that. And I understand that. And I never, I never try to make anyone feel stupid, but, uh, it was a book about hard science fiction research. And I, I wrote it that way. And, uh, you know, I, if you look at think tank and swing, I think swing volume two, and I don't know if you could tell this, but it just, it was just so much, e like I said, it was so much easier to write. It felt natural. And in a weird way, it sort of parallels, like, I think the journey of someone that embarks on swinging. Because remember when you first started, it was a little awkward. You're a little tentative. It was exciting. But holy shit, you know? Oh, my God. What? My wife's over there with this other guy. What do I do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's all these neurotic thoughts that go through your head. And I think, I think sometimes people forget that when you, you deal with fiction about erotic situations that these are people you know and and they have feelings and uh and they're not just car you know carbon cut stereotypes of what a man and a woman should be in these situations and uh i don't know i, I think that's what makes i think our line of, of these slice of life romance i think that's what makes these books special and I, and I don't mean that in a way that i'm trying to pat myself on the back i, I just feel like these books feel real you know what i mean and, and it's because i think there's been a lot of care put into them to try to deliver something, you know, and uh, I wouldn't write something about something I didn't like. Yeah, it, it comes across as authentic. Absolutely, it does. It's it's it speaks with its authenticity. And, and I grew to to want to know more about what's happening with the characters. So you you did do well. You're not tooting your own horn. No worries. Well, thanks. I And I don't know if you could tell. But see, I, I thought about that, too, because I said even when doing the research for this stuff, I mean, you know. Writing Swing Volume 1 was sort of awkward, which is kind of how we all are in, in initial sexual experiences. Um, and Volume 2 just kind of felt like it was, it just kind of flowed. And Volume 3 was even easier. You know, I mean, it was an even easier book to write. And uh, now I, I write these things faster than my other stuff because I don't have to research anything, you know? Yeah, you just, <laughs> just you know about who they are. Sexy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, Slice of Life, was, it has its own challenges, but then maybe has, you know, gets a little easier as it goes on. So could you give me, it sounds like Heidi, you're familiar with, but could you give me, what are the, what's the elevator pitch for Think Tank? And I'm looking here at the um, back of volume two of Swing. Yeah. So we have Aphrodite. Uh, Think Tank is uh, kind of real genius meets house. Uh, there was a 80s movie with Al Kilmer where he was a smart Caltech kid. Um, it, it's about the military industrial complex and how they seduce young kids through science fairs to become, to sign essentially lifelong contracts that they don't know they're signing. So our main character, David Lauren, is, is in the military industrial complex working for DARPA out of Fort Meade, and he develops these amazing things, but he doesn't want to do it anymore. He's 28. He wants to quit. He's stuck in a situation that he no longer cares for, um, and he tells them he wants to quit, but they won't let him quit because he signed a lifetime contract at 14 and didn't realize it. And this is actually all true. You know, my dad was a research scientist, so I know this world intimately, and I know the guys in the Manhattan Projects had their passports removed and were mm -hmm. unable to travel. Because uh, the government was more fearful of uh, one of our scientists being captured by the enemy than they were about capturing and, and retro engineering something that was actual like a, a plane, you know, because these guys could develop the next generation. So that's that's think think in a source. If you like kind of uh, Tom Clancy, Michael Crichton kind of stuff, then, then think things a book you like. Well, it's I think you sold me. I think I need to check it out. <laughs> And it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly my love letter of science since I have this, these fancy degrees that I don't use for anything. Um, I actually, all the science, uh, well, actually not all, some of the stuff's been disproven, but 95% of the science in all those books is completely accurate. And in the back of each volume, like I did the sex ed in, in swing, um, in the back of each volume of think tank, I do a science class where 
I teach, you know, the people basically the concepts and I do it. So part of my goal, and I think I've done it with swing too, and I didn't even mean to, is I've always in my career, I've wanted to clandestinely educate people while I entertain them. That's always sort of been my goal. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I try to give people good stories and characters they care about. And then when they meet me, they realize, hey, he's a nice guy. And then the great thing about that is if you combine those two things and you got someone reading your material for life, you know. Definitely. Um, do you? I was I was curious what was going on with um, Witchblade recently because I know that um, I follow you on Twitter and I know there was a Kickstarter. Is is that still going on or what is what was that all about? Uh, it's finished. It was for the uh, hardcover. It's, it's the 25th anniversary of Witchblade this year, and um, so we're doing a big year long promotion to, to promote that character and those books. It's probably Top Cow's best known character because of the uh, TNT TV series in 2000 2001. There was a Japanese anime that I actually produced in Japan uh, that was 2004 and 2005. So this character has a, a lot of uh, awareness, you know. And um, so this is the 25th anniversary, which is a long time. Uh, I argue that only female character that's more prominently known than Witchblade is actually Wonder Woman. And that's an arguable thing. If you get nerds in a corner and, and discuss it, <laughs> you get five different answers. But... Um, so, you know, and, and Wanted was based on a top cow. Remember the Angelina Jolie, Morgan Freeman uh, mm -hmm. movie with the mm -hmm. curving mm -hmm. bullets? Yeah. That's based on one of uh, our books. Um, the Darkness is another one of our big franchises. That's uh, the one that had the two video games for Xbox, the Next Generation stuff, and PlayStation. Yeah, I... Those were... Oh, Go I, ahead, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I, I haven't read it, but I always thought The Darkness was had such cool, like, the design of that character. I, I don't even know anything about that character, um, and but the... That's the one where the the guy's got the long hair. He's got sort of like a like a, a mask over his face, right? Is, am I thinking of the correct? Uh, yes. But so the darkness um, was created by created mainly by Mark Silvestri and also with Garth Ennis, and uh, he created it to be the anti Superman because he always hated that character Superman. Uh, he you know because if you look at Clark Kent and Superman, here's this guy who's in our world the most powerful guy on the planet. He finds the most powerful uh, step-parents of all time that, that, that benefit him. The best step-parents of all time are not step-parents or adopting parents. You know, the, the Kents, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, he, he just is the best of everything. And even though he has one Achilles heel, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, so Mark took uh, the darkness. It's kind of a combination of an anti-superhero and a vampire. And that's kind of what he ran with and developed it out to where Jackie was uh, – he was the son of a whore and, and a killer. Um, and he was raised in a, a uh, Catholic convent. Um, and then eventually he was taken out by the mafia who realized that he was the son of one of their former enforcers. So the mafia then raises him to be a, a killer. Um, and now when he's in his early 20s, uh, this power manifests. And the darkness is, in essence, the power of creation through dark forces. So think you're sort of worst Cthulian nightmares. Um, and, and that's what it is. So okay. it's, it's, uh, it's a brilliant story, um, because it's about this guy, uh, who is a talented, you know, man with his, with fighting, but he's also got this crazy power and, uh, he has to become sort of an anti-hero hero because he realizes that now the only thing that really scares him is this power he has. That sounds super interesting. It does. We're wrapping up, but I, I don't have an opportunity to speak to a comic professional every day. So I, I wanted to bring up a topic which may need more time than we have. And, uh, but I, I wanted to get your opinions on the health of the industry. I keep hearing that it's 
that it's not healthy and you have, uh, you know, big leadership changes at other companies. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on the comic book industry currently. Well, it's interesting because the actual uh, volume of books that are being bought and read, and if you include web comics and, and, and manga, uh, which is largely read by women, um, the numbers, the net volume, dollar volume is bigger than it's ever been. Uh, the problem is, is it's not what we think of as the comic book direct market or, or the comic book stores. These stores, uh, there are fewer of them now than ever. I mean, when I started in the business in 93, there was about 15,000 comic book stores in North America. And now there might be 1,200, you know, and, and with the coronavirus, uh, you know, how many of those are shuttering? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a scary time. And uh, uh, but, but the thing is, for, for publishers, you know, you just roll with the times. I mean, you know, we sell now, if you go back to 1993, almost 100% of our books were sold through comic stores, okay? Now it's maybe 40%, um, and almost 50% of our books are sold through Amazon. It's just a you know? different model now. And is, it's and... a different business model. I mean, we have actually more readers than ever, um, but uh, they're just being bought by different methods. There's the digital reader, uh, there's the trade reader, uh, and part of the reason why we went with the OGN model is because we looked at the majority of the readers for Sunstone were women, and uh, they didn't. And women just were not predisposed to buy regular 32-page comics. They wanted graphic novels and, and full stories, um, and and they, you couldn't train them to do it like you could this you know legions of generational nerdy dudes that well, this is what we did. Um, so you you had to adjust the market and. Uh, the one interesting thing about uh, Swing, which was hard for me and I didn't succeed, is I intentionally tried to make it easier to read for someone who didn't know how to read a comic book. Um, and by, because most people think of a comic as being like a Sunday funny where you have a little image and at the top right is a word balloon or a narrative thing. And you just go from left to right and that's how you read it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you read comics, you follow kind of a Z pattern around the page. And, uh, well, I really got way off topic, didn't I? I <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know you guys are impressed. You're time, absolutely just... right. It's uh, just have everybody read understanding comics and then we're fine. That's true. Yeah, I'm... there you go. So I, I'm sorry. I was going on. A, a, oh, no, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm super geeky. So I was, I was enjoying every second. I was just reading. I had never read, I read, um, understanding comics a while ago. I never read rein, um, Scott, Scott McCloud's like, uh, follow up, uh, reinventing comics. So I was literally reading, sitting down to read reinventing comics, which was written in 2000 but it could have been written now it feels like he's um, covering a lot of the yeah. s- same things that are going on now but i as you started to talk about that you intentionally wrote the book to be a little bit uh easier i was i was i grabbed volume one and i'm flipping through and i'm and i was trying to think to myself i'm so ingrained in how to read a comic i'm like is is it easier but it probably is and it's not, um it's it's fairly straight fairly straightforward but it's it's interesting that those are the types of things that you know that the writers have to that you have to think about and who's who who the audience is and they're not your typical your, your typical nerdy guy reading comics and they and um the, the ease of reading it it's it's fascinating hearing hearing that how much thought goes into the audience of who's going to read it which makes sense you have to cater to the to, to your audience but it just it was fascinating to hear well, it's just sometimes there's stuff that uh, I, I get hired or I get asked to write things. Sometimes I'm like, I, I, I always want to do it, even if it's a challenge. But there's just certain things that I know I probably won't do very well, and, and I don't want to do that. The reason why I really wanted to try Swing was because um, I wanted to see if I could replicate his success. And it really was a challenge, 
and my wife at the time, she and I are no longer together, which is fine. It's a separate issue, but it's, uh, you know, she co-wrote it with me and we developed to flesh this world out. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun experience, you know, and, uh, it was a challenge. I, I like a challenge. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We had, I could talk for forever about swing and about the industry and comics in general, but it was, it was a pleasure, a super pleasure to, to chat with you tonight. So tell us where well, can people find you? Um, I am on uh, Twitter at, at top cow Matt. Um, I'm on, uh, Instagram. I think it's M Hawk five, two, two, two. I think if you just Google Matt Hawkins, top cow, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it'll pop up. Um, and, uh, Facebook is the one I, I use the most cause I'm, I'm, I'm verbose and that's the only <laughs> platform that supports that. So, but that my, I'm self-loathing narcissist. That's my uh, subheading, which is a, a, an inside joke, um, from a long time ago that I eventually called my loan out corporation, which is another <laughs> inside joke, but, uh, that's how you can find me on Facebook. But if you just Google Matt Hawkins, top cow, Facebook, you'll find me. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show again. And, and uh, would maybe we'll reach out to you again after a couple more volumes have been out and we can talk some more swing. That'd be great. I love it. And with that, we're going to call in a night. Hopefully everybody enjoyed that awesome interview with Matt Hawkins. Heidi, why don't you tell them where they can find us and rate us and all that good jazz. All right. So you can email us questions, comments, ideas for show topics. We are swinging around at gmail.com. No G at the end of swinging. You can find our website at swinging around.com. Please give us some likes and rate us and review us on Apple, um, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, It helps bring us some more publicity, get us more listeners. Um, We just love to share everything we do and share experiences. So like us, rate us, review us. If you enjoy what you hear in the after parties, head on over to find Talking Geek. That's no G at the end of talking. (laughs) And give them a, well, them, us, that podcast a like, rating, and review as well. (laughs) All right, everybody. Stay sexy and stay swinging.